You're tuned in to Shift Happens on Kootenai Co-op Radio, 93.5 FM in Nelson. Shift Happens, as you know, is about the shifts, the positive shifts that are happening in our immediate lives and on a global scale. We like to focus on the positive. And today's episode is going to be no different. In a couple seconds, I'll let Anna introduce what's going to happen in hour two. Enjoy. Shift Happens on Kootenai Co-op Radio. You're tuned in to Shift Happens on Kootenai Co-op Radio. We're about to start the second hour of the show, and I'll let Anna set that up. This week's interview is with Gitta Ritter. She traveled to India for a period of eight years and taught women's personal safety. So I thought it would be interesting, given that we just went through International Women's Day, to talk to her about conditions for women in India now. And then after that, we ended up having a conversation about the status of women in North America at this stage, looking back as mature women who went through the 60s and the women's liberation movement. So that's our interview for today. Hope you enjoy. Okay, you're listening to Shift Happens on Kootenai Co-op Radio, and uh, it's recently been International Women's Day, so we thought it would be fun to have a conversation with a woman, (laughs) (laughs) a a particular woman, Gitta Ritter. Um, Gitta teaches women's self-defense with a feminist twist Mm -hmm. and has recently spent quite a bit of time in India. Um, and did a talk in the New Denver area about the conditions for women in India. And I thought it would be a good topic to have around the time of International Women's Day. So, welcome, Gita. Thank you. So, tell us a little bit about, first of all, what it is you teach and why you travel around. So, it's called Winlido which means Women's Path of Strength, and it was developed in, in Toronto in uh, 73, and I became involved in 76. And it's a, I call it Feminist Personal Safety Program because it, um, it is not con- um, conventional self-defense is where you mostly learn techniques. But there is a phenomena that women experience when they feel their life threatened that the majority of women paralyze in fear. And all human bodies come with a survival mechanism that when we get scared, there's adrenaline that goes into the bloodstream and we become five to ten times as strong as we run faster and actually we perceive things going in slow motion. 
that is when we use the adrenaline positively. But because being raised in male-dominated societies that a lot of women, when confronted with violence or a threat, that um, they feel there's nothing I can do. He's stronger than I am. And, um, and paralyzed. And they see themselves already raped. They see themselves being violated. So um, feminist personal safety program, when Lido takes all that into consideration. And because I can teach you 500 techniques, it will not do you any good if you paralyze in fear. I know for myself even, uh, I took self-defense at one point and I, I felt really uncomfortable with the whole, the whole approach, just the idea that I would be forced to um, defend myself bothered me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I can, I can imagine that women quite often, we are generally passive in nature not really used to resorting to violence as a means of getting ourselves out of situations. So you have to teach women how to be okay with asserting themselves, all of that stuff. I don't call it violence. I, I call it protective use of force. Mm-hmm. And um, there's many levels of aggression that um, when you paralyze and fear the one you feel threatened and that happens to you, you don't even see what you can say. You don't see the way out. Yeah. You just, um, you go blank. Yeah. And um, so, like to be physically attacked, that is probably the smallest percentage, but there's right. all kinds of aggression that precede that. Mm-hmm. So, it's to be able to recognize that. And once you have these kind of tools and you know that just speaking up may not, if the speaking up doesn't work, if that strategy doesn't work, mm-hmm. then uh, you have the backup. Right. And you can use a protect, protective use of force. Okay. So you travel around and teach this program. Um, and you recently spent quite a bit of time in India teaching it. So I have been training instructors. I was asked to train instructors in the late 70s in Western Europe and then in Eastern Europe when the Iron Curtain came down. Um, And then in the early 2000s, I was asked to teach it in India and Bangladesh. How did that come about? How how did they find out that you (laughs) instructed uh, women's personal safety? I went to see a friend from Hornby who was teaching midwifery to um, okay. to doulas over there. And, um, and she was working for the largest women's NGO in Southeast Asia, which is in Delhi. It's called Juggery. And they asked me what I do. So I explained that it's been, one lido has been a thread through my life. I've done, I do many other things. But, right. Um, that has been close to my heart. And um, so they promptly organized a three-day workshop with women's activists in Delhi. And then two women of that workshop asked me to return. And I said I would only be willing to return if there could potentially be interest in training instructors. Because it's not up to me, really, to To try to teach all of India. (laughs) And it would would have to be made culturally relevant because it does come from the West. Right. And so the first year in 2001, we taught to 600 college students in Delhi. 
just to see if we could make it culturally relevant. And it was interesting, so many times, Dipti, who was translating for me then, she would say in the evening, she says, that was Western, stop that, we're Indian. <laughs> and I said, what was Western about that? What? So <laughs> I had to be made culturally relevant, really. Right. And um, it was a very interesting process. And I didn't even know what was what of my behaviors and thinking yeah. patterns were Western. That, that's so what to learn to leave all of that behind. Right. Can, so can you remember now what it was you had to, to shift in order to be culturally relevant in <laughs> India? One of the things that comes to mind was um, just saying that you know, if you have been uh, physically abused, if you have been sexually abused, mm -hmm. uh, or you have seen your father hit your mother, then you will tend to choose partners. Right. And this is unconscious, of course, yes. but it's just wanting to work something out. There's you, yeah, a part you, of us that, that wants to work something out. So we create that. And this, in a country where there's 90% arranged marriages, there's no choice. There's no dating. There's no right. uh, sexual experimentation. So... I never thought about that, but maybe, uh, hmm, does that increase the likelihood you're going to end up with an abusive partner or decrease it? That's a long story. Right. I think it's, yeah. In India, it's generally, the conditions for women in India are not particularly great still, hey? No, and there's still a lot of corporal punishment. So as children, you get used to being... Uh, hit and abused and okay and even the women do that to the children right they're so frustrated because they're being oppressed mm -hmm. that they let it out on the children and then and then the dog gets e it and so then the the daughter it becomes normalized right yeah violence becomes normalized so it is a problem yeah that I, women I, face. recently did a show about um ancestral abuse just coming at it from the terms of I have noticed in my own family which has a lot of abuse within it that um, there are certain kinds of learned behaviors that make it easier for families to be abusive mm -hmm. and that tend to perpetuate the patterns exactly and uh, and I imagine culturally that is very much the case I mean I'm I'm just thinking of it in terms of uh, the melting pot of Canada, we don't really have the necessarily the cultural influences that would reinfor reinforce abuse, but we certainly have systemic family issues. Systemic family violence. So yeah. I think there is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. In Genera my case, even. Generational trauma is not uncommon. No, it's not at all. So in general, um, you spent seven years the first time in India. Teaching? I practically lived there for seven years, yes. I would have to leave the country for a few months, just ah. a couple months legally right. to be able to come back. But uh, it was my home base from 2001 to 2008. So how do you feel about the conditions for women in India right now? It, it's very challenging. You think it's improving? And, um it's a large country, right? Just yeah. the population of women is like the the all the population of Canada, U.S., and Russia combined. It's just the women's population in India. So um, it's kind of mind-boggling. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So there is 
lots of problems. But um, what I found really fascinating working with the women there is um, to see their resilience and their their sense of humor and their coping styles. Like in the West, we have, you know, we have options of drinking and smoking, and they don't have that option. Right. So I remember the first time, which was really startling to me, we were in the middle of talking about domestic violence, which is close to everybody's life, and mm-hmm. and. In the middle of the sentence, somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, could we take a break, just 10-minute break? <laughs> and I said, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> and the moment I said, okay, they were like, somebody was clapping in their hand, and they got up, and they started dancing and singing and and then uh, and twirling. And then 10 minutes later, okay, now we can continue <laughs> the talk on domestic violence. So that so was their way of processing. And it... Um, and lots of laughter, like we laugh so much. And um, such a sense of community. Sometimes yeah, I, I wish we could lot. laugh about abuse more often. You know, it's like in our culture now, it seems like we don't use laughter as a as a healing mechanism very often. You know, it's like intense psychotherapy, introspection, meditation, you know, all these really, really... Oh, I have to say, personally, I'm getting kind of tired. <laughs> I just want to have a good laugh. You know, mm. you need a break. I, they, I can appreciate that. They find ways, and, and they find ways to laugh and, and to dance and sing, and how that changes the energy, right? Singing and, and mm. dancing and moving the body. And I'd never seen that used in that way. And I, at the end of the workshop... They, the women talk about things they're culturally, it's not acceptable to talk about sexuality, about um, abuse, about many things that we talk about. And so it takes a lot of courage for them, and it takes courage for the trainers, the new trainers, the apprentices, mm-hmm. to... Um, to run conversations like that, and they find we find really interesting when it's collaborative how we how we teach also, and um, and so at the end of a workshop everybody is just like so exhausted and so and they just dance and sing after <laughs> a twenty hour workshop to just let it all out right, and then they continue it's. I learned a lot. That's cool. Do you think that, I mean, I've always thought of India as a fairly spiritual culture. Um, I think that their spiritual beliefs are a lot more kind of intertwined with their culture than than ours are because we're so all over the map cultural or spiritually. Do you think that their spiritual beliefs help them to cope with the, the conditions that they're in or are they part of the problem? The activists definitely see it as part of the problem that um, Hinduism is very oppressive to women. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're made to be they're made to obey, right? And um, to uh, you know, ninety percent arranged marriages. There's child marriages. That all is part mm-hmm. of Hinduism, and um, even the practice of burning your wife on. On your that is power? Sati. That the last case of that was in 1985. That is known, 
and there's a, there's a lot of the women's movement is very strong there. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of NGOs that focus on issues like that. And last year, like when you work on an empowerment project, you're successful when you work yourself out of a job. Mm -hmm. So I have not wanted to go back, even though they've been asking me every year to come back. And um, but I did go last year. And that was after nine years of being away. Mm -hmm. And that was quite enlightening, all the changes that have happened in nine years. And a significant one was that there is now an, an NGO that's called Single Women's NGO. Mm -hmm. And um, so they help deserted, uh, widowed women. Single by choice is a it's almost a, non-existent. <laughs> it's not a concept. Right. There's very few women like like us. It's also a, a community that in the cities that is um, artists and musicians and who are more like us. Mm -hmm. But um, um, like our alternative community is what I mean with us, mm -hmm. not Western. Um, and and they're definitely changing. Things, but um, the larger community, and they're talking about single by choice. That's the only place where I've ever heard it. Right. But that's a really good thing because before widows were just thrown out of the family. They were put in the street. They were not allowed to wear their their blouse under the sari. They have uh, like what they call yeah. a blouse just covering yeah. their top and that was taking off that was ripped off and that's still in some rural areas like that so they're like free meat and um, it's really horrible how they've been treated so it's great that there's organizations that help that and still also there's a dowry problem um, that um, the family of the woman has to come up with gifts and money for 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 the, the dowry um, for the man yeah and um, and that a lot of times puts them way into debt. Like I compared it about with a university professor here would in our money compared to theirs come up with about $30,000 to marry his daughter off. So it puts families into debt and they have a, they make a really lavish, extravagant weddings that are crazy. I know yeah, I've it's, heard. It's, it's. <laughs> it's heartbreaking and then um and then when the tv or the scooter or car or whatever he caught when it breaks and they um he says to her well let's you know get your parents to buy me a new car and they're already into debt then um, in the worst case scenario what can happen is that um, women are burnt to death and he, they're called stove bursts, and a lot of the men get acquitted. And um, so there's about five to six thousand women um, just around Delhi, where where it gets reported. Right. So so that's um, so that makes women more of a commodity in arranged marriages. And I'm not saying that they never work out, mm -hmm. but. Um, it it is very challenging. So, them. how much of a difference, and in what areas did you see between when you were there before and then nine years later? Um, just in terms of 
Like, you know, I mean, I've heard some stuff in the news legislation to protect women. Mm -hmm. You know, there's been for the first time uh, men being charged with rape, those kinds of things. It sounds like the problem is that like right now, the changes have been made that um, he he gets uh, life imprisonment or, or death sentence. And so then the women don't want to. Report. report it so that creates another problem um, right. but um, there is a lot of strong feminists that that um, are very educated that are changing the laws but the problem is because it, the population is so large that it doesn't trickle down that mm -hmm. people know so the one leader workshops also serve as that that they um They, the women learn about their rights, that they have a right to live a life uh, free of violence and abuse. Right. And um, yes, and they learn about their rights. So it helps the frontline feminism in India. And that's just a piece of the puzzle that I had for their movement. And I felt very honored that, you know, it just happened to fit in yeah. what they're doing because just changing the laws is doesn't do anything like the caste system is supposed to be uh, illegal yeah. illegal but it's very alive and child marriage is very alive even though now they have it it's supposed to be 14 but there's still girls who get married at five and six and um, then they stay with the mother until they start bleeding so they're terrified of their first bloods and um, because then they have to move into his household right and so, you know, there's, there's, until it trickles down to a large yeah. population like that. And that takes a long time. Yeah. I mean, I, I think of the system in the UK even, I mean, basically they had a caste system, system, which supposedly they don't have anymore, but they still very much have a class system. Mm -hmm. And how long has that been dismantling? A hundred years, maybe not quite so. So long. Mm. Second World War, certainly. Yeah, 50 years, at least 70 years, yeah. Yeah. Well, so we should take a break. We should uh, play a song, and, uh, and we'll be back. Please. And we're back. And my name is Anna. You're listening to Shift Happens. Jeff, who is normally on the show, is off in the corner minding his own business because he's not a woman. <laughs> no, we didn't kick him out for a good reason, except that we didn't have an extra mic. So we're talking to Gitta Ritter. Uh, we're talking about women's self-defense and specifically women's self-defense in India. Um, but I'm curious about how did you get involved? Were you always a feminist? Um, first of all, I like to call it personal safety. Okay. Because self-defense just sounds so um, um, that I have to fend off, that right. I'm in danger all the time. And personal safety is more like I love myself so much that I would do anything to stay alive. It's more that. Good distinction. From, from, from that sense. Yeah. And um, so how did you get involved in this particular program and, and women's personal safety back in Toronto in the 70s? It's my um, well, life experience just brought my attention to that there's problems in that area. I was raped when I was 19 and um, 
And at that time, I um, I was held, like, I felt I was held hostage for three weeks in my own place. And But I would go to work. I would go work to work during the day and not talk about it. And I thought, you know. And What's wrong like, with this picture? <laughs> after I got through it. Yeah. After I survived it all and, and I came back to my my own senses, I thought, why didn't I talk about it? Like, mm -hmm. I didn't do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. Why did I feel shame and would not talk about it? So it really puzzled me. And I went to the Women's Center in uh, Montreal. And, and then I started talking to women and realized that there's, I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. that, that's a phenomenon. And then I wanted to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. And I was looking for tools, tools to, uh, that would help with that. And then, so that's how I came across One Lido, a window it was called at the time. And, uh, and it just happened that it came from Toronto and they wanted to um, kind of get into Quebec and have it in French-speaking Canada. And I became involved there. And it just proved to be very effective. And mm -hmm. I had so much good feedback that I ended up teaching to thousands of women, mostly in Quebec and then in BC, before I was asked to go to, to in to, or to, to go train to Europe. Instructors. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you then are in a position where you've spent a good portion of your life constantly empowering women. Mm hmm. Um, have you seen a shift in the feminine consciousness from the 70s to now? Well, I saw it when we were teaching in Montreal, and there was a group of us teaching. I was teaching to at least 120 women a month, and um, and we, really, we felt there was a shift there in Montreal at the time. I remember once in a subway, and a woman was... Um, a, a man was groping her and, and pushing her in the corner. And there was like four or five women that stood up and that saw that in, in a packed subway and rushed towards her. And nice. you know, I kind of thought, I don't think that would have happened before that. Mm -hmm. And just understanding that um, we need solidarity mm -hmm. around that. We can, it's hard to stand up by yourself. In it those is moments, and um, so I wish children somehow were taught that too to stand up for one another. It tends to be, it seems like, when children get uh, abused in the home, they tend to just transfer it to another weaker child somewhere. I guess they don't have the emotional intelligence to to understand how to deal with that. Well, in India, we developed actually three. Um, children's workshops for 8 to 12, 12 to 15, and 15 to 19. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and they're teaching to thousands of girls like that. Nice. Mm -hmm. Especially there. It's so, so you said women were beginning to be empowered back in the 70s when you were teaching. Um, it's been my experience... Uh, back in the 70s when I was a young woman, that um, it was very difficult. I, I actually ended up 
quitting several jobs because I would bring, um, you know, sexual harassment issues to management mm. and nothing would be done. And it became evident my only option was to leave. And I thought back then, okay, well, we've got this women's movement happening. You know, by the time my children are, are grown and in this position, it won't be happening anymore. But I'm not so sure. Uh, I mean, there's there's certainly been advancements made, but it it also seems like there's, in some respects, been a regression in the last while. Do you notice that? Do you feel that way? I feel that way too. And it, it seems like in societies there's waves, there's waves of consciousness, mm -hmm. and then it goes back into unconsciousness. Mm -hmm. It's like the moon, you know, like full moon, and we see things, and then it goes into the dark moon, and we don't. I, it, I find it strange. Like just look at the U.S. right now. Yeah, there's a lot of rights that women fought really hard for. And then they've and, got a president that they, can brag they just about lost it. They just yeah. Well, so that and that the mentality of the people too goes. I, one of the things that I use as a barometer, and perhaps it's silly, but I'm looking at um, the divas, the stars, you know, singers or, or actors in the last while. And I, I'm looking, we just did a show recently comparing A Star is Born when Barbara Streisand did it mm -hmm. versus A Star is Born when Lady Gaga did it. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that really struck me watching the Lady Gaga version um, was this this necessity for the young female star to be bumping and grinding on stage, to be barely clad, to be basically selling their sex rather than their song. Mm -hmm. And I remember when Barbara Streisand was on the stage, she was fully clothed and she didn't need to hump anybody. <laughs> like... Honestly, I, I feel like pop culture, I don't know if it's a, a, a reflection of what's going on or if it's a part of the cause, but we have seen this normalized degradation of women in the media, in movies, in music uh, videos. I don't know. I, I'm really disheartened, frustrated by the what I'm seeing. Um and I, I don't know, I've been speaking publicly at times about abuse and, um, and I've had young women coming up to me and sharing their experiences of abuse and they don't seem any more empowered than I was. No, I know it's, that part is discouraging. And right now in Canada, I just got, femicide is a, um, a group that's doing statistics, present-day statistics, on these issues, and um, it's every two and a half days a woman is or girl is slain in Canada, and um, and fifty-five percent by their intimate partners. So, so is the um, the women's um, not self-defense, personal yes. safety, um, organizations still going strong in Canada? That's interesting, too. It is 
less popular now to take these kind of workshops. And um, in the 70s, there was we had waiting lists. Mm-hmm. And in the 80s, we had waiting lists. And now in the 2000s, it's going... And yet violence against women isn't really decreasing. And then part of me was hoping, well, maybe it is because we really don't need it anymore. We're beyond it, but I don't think that's the case. No, I don't think so either. So it's, there's no answers, there's only questions. I keep wondering why it is that feminism got a bad rap. Why? I mean, there seems to have been a a backlash against feminists, uh, in Canada at least, because it's uncomfortable to the mainstream, right? Without feminists, we wouldn't be voting. We wouldn't be able to to buy land or to get loans. Without feminists, we wouldn't be able to do a lot of things that we take for granted now, mm-hmm. take leadership positions and all that. But there's still in politics, it's a majority men. It's... Um, and, um, and right now, I think there is like a trend to erase women again under a different umbrella. And um, that is interesting to see. Even in politics, something that disturbs me, and maybe I'm being picky, but the women who um, have risen in politics, at least prior to the last little while, there's a couple new American women politicians that have maintained their femininity, but it seems like they've almost gone androgynous. You know, you look at Hillary Clinton for as an example, and I think they've become men in order to get to their position. They've, they've pretty much given up whatever feminine principles they, they had. Well, it's a, it's a patriarchal system, right? And to, to make it in it, you have to adopt the thinking patterns and um true the style so that is so that's what i'm addressing it's like it's not really uh a triumph to become someone at the top of a system by becoming a part of the problem no and that is if there's only a few women rising right but if there is like at least 50 percent it's easier to hold principles right so um so you have been actively involved in empowering women for a good portion of your life. Mm-hmm. And in our show, we talk about the things that we choose to do in our lives that create shifts. Do you feel like you've lived a different life because of choosing to teach feminine personal safety? Definitely it has. I don't... Like in India, to the, for the instructors, it is a very positive thing to do that because you see the suffering around you. And if you just see it and can't do anything, it's depressing. Mm-hmm. Women get depressed. It's a lot of depression. But if there's something you do, and even if you see the smallest change in a group of 20 women, you see you see the change after two days and they come back and they tell you um, how they've, and the different decisions they've made in their lives. It's not just around aggression, but it's being assertive and and valuing how we view vis- issues right in front of us and coming from a woman's perspective. 
And um, so to see that is really encouraging. And so that has strengthened me personally, and I see that in the instructors in India, where there's so much suffering and so many problems, but at least they're doing something. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes after teaching a girls' workshop and we make these small little groups and then they discuss the questions that we give them and then they get put back into the main circle. And sometimes afterwards in the debrief with the group, we would just cry. We would just be, it's just so devastating what these little girls go through, these mm-hmm. lovely, innocent girls. And But then it's always, we cry and then we come back to, you know, how great, that she shared that, and now we can work with that, and we'll do something. And, you know, I think part of the the strength of being a woman is suffering and rising above it and surviving and carrying on. Uh, I, I think it's why we're so strong. I think why we're so resilient, because many of us dealt with these kinds of things in our early lives, and we learned how to deal with it and get on with it. And I think to be able to cry and to learn that those releases, trauma releases, because mm-hmm. that's what tears are. Yeah. They can be. Yeah. Is um, if you've been traumatized, it's just it, there's ways to release trauma. And we work with that in India a lot. Women are more likely to crawl, cry at least. And to support one another and what releases the trauma and I think those women are the most successful in rising above it who often unconsciously have that kind of resilience where they release that and then can see can accept what is and build on that right yeah I um, one thing I can say is that the young women that I've you know that are in my life now my my son's girlfriends and their friends, they seem a lot stronger than mm-hmm. we were. I, I think it's taken me most of my life to get to a point where I'm willing to really be assertive and not, not hide from conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see them as they're feisty, and I, I love that about them. Mm-hmm. I just wish that they would be more um, willing to look at the norms in our pop culture and really ask themselves whether this is empowering or not. I, I just, I hate the language in, in some of the new music and I hate the way that, that they are um, sexualizing themselves objectifying themselves it, you know it's one thing to have it imposed upon you but now it seems like we do it voluntarily we're doing it voluntarily <laughs> come on i know coming back from from asia that's what i see a lot it's like gosh we're doing it voluntarily we don't get stoned to death for no. for um having sex outside of a relationship or the marriage but you know how we um how our mind still is a prison mm-hmm. to ourselves. But um, there, there is lots of changes. And to just keep looking at what is working. And also, young people, they need to gain the life experience, right? 
It yeah, is, they do. It's about life experience. The more you circle around the same issue, you realize, oh, this is an issue. This is yeah. not really working for me. And we start learning to question ourselves. Is this working for me? Is this making me stronger or is this weakening me? And, yeah. and does that, the way I'm responding to this situation, does that escalate the, um, the abuse or does it de-escalate the abuse? Um, so that, that's life experience. Yeah, and I, I'm hoping that, um, that the women in, in our generation and a bit younger will be somehow able to communicate. I, I, I just, I'm surprised that this conversation isn't in the, in the media. It's not happening out there that I've seen. Mm-hmm. That why is it that our generation is troubled by what's going on, but the younger generation doesn't seem to see it? Because we need to have conversations and to stimulate conversations. I do that wherever, however I can. Yeah. And um, I still offer two-day workshops. And, um, and Do you offer them in the Kootenays? I do. Is there one coming up? We're just working on one in, in New Denver. Okay. And possibly in Nelson as well. So would you like to put your contact info out there or can we put your contact info on the website so that people can contact you and find out about booking workshops? Yes, yes you definitely can put it on your website. Okay, we will do that. So I think we're pretty much out of time. We've been speaking with Gita Ritter about women's personal safety and um, it's and about India. It's, it's really fascinating. I, I felt... Like I thought conditions were better, but. But it's very hopeful that there's women rising and talking and sharing and. Around the world. Evolving. Yay, women. <laughs> Resilience. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, Yay thanks a resilience. lot. Yes. Gita for, for doing this. Anna, for being interested. You've been listening to Shift Happens. My name is Anna. We've been interviewing Gita Ritter. And Jeff is in the corner doing the recording. If you want more information about this show, you can go to our website, shifthappens.media. We will be re-airing it on Sunday. Uh, And uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.
friends to everyone I know Oh, they turn their heads embarrassed Pretend that they don't see That it's one misstep, one slip before you know it And there doesn't seem a way to be been listening to Shift Happens on Kootenai Co-op Radio. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. I just wanted to say we played three tracks in the last hour. We played the Dave Matthews Band, Mercy, and Alanis Morissette, Woman Down, live, and Sarah McLaughlin, Fallen, live. So hopefully you enjoyed the show, like I said, and hold on for next week when we come at you with another cool and groovy show. Shift Happens on Kootenai Co-op Radio.